Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to iHeartRadio Communities, a public affairs special focusing on the biggest issues impacting you this week. Here's Ryan Gorman. Thanks for joining us here on iHeartRadio Communities. I'm Ryan Gorman, and we have some great conversations lined up for you. First, I'll talk to the U.S. Surgeon General, who has an update on the current coronavirus outbreak happening across the country. Then I'll check in with an emergency room doctor about his experience receiving the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination. And finally, we'll talk about the impact of the pandemic on nursing homes and long-term care facilities. To get things started, I'm joined right now by the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams. Dr. Adams, thanks for taking some time to talk to us. And I guess the best place to start is with whatever the big messages are that you want to remind people of as we wrap up this holiday season and head into the new year. Well, two words are important, vaccines and vigilance. And vaccines are incredibly important because we know people are fatigued. We know they need hope. And in this season of hope, uh, we have now two vaccines that have uh, been authorized for use. And we are beginning to vaccinate the vulnerable people in nursing homes. We're vaccinating healthcare workers. And that is a good thing. That means the light switch, uh, which is not a dimmer, which is not a light switch, it's a dimmer switch, is starting to slowly be turned uh, back on. And, uh, and I want people to know that. But I want them to also know that we have to be vigilant because uh, there's no point in having a finish line if we don't. If we stop running, if we don't get everyone across uh, till the end. And so things you can think about this holiday season, uh, I always say the safest thing to do is to spend it just with the immediate members of your household. Period, point blank. Everyone needs to know that, especially in this surge. But uh, I also want people to know that even if you choose not to spend or can't spend it just within your household, uh, there are ways to be safer. I don't want you to just throw your hands up in the air. And so Go to cdc.gov, look up uh, the tips for holiday gatherings. It's right on the main page. But some simple things you can do. If you're in a warm weather climate, uh, you can do outdoors instead of indoors. Uh, you can open windows and have plenty of ventilation. Make sure there's lots of hand sanitizing. Uh, make sure you are restricting your movements now because every encounter you have with someone outside of your household now, at the grocery store, at the gym, uh, or with your friends, uh, is a potential exposure that you could be bringing home to your loved one who is vulnerable. So lots of ways to stay safe. Uh, ultimately, we want you to think about that spectrum and make your holiday as safe as you possibly can. Let me ask you about another aspect of all of this that sometimes gets overlooked. If we're being real about it, it is inevitable that people are going to get together for the holidays. It's just, it's going to happen. And we talk a lot about what people need to do before those gatherings, but what about after the gatherings. What are some steps that people should take and keep in mind then? That is a great question. And what I want people to know is that it takes on average five days to develop symptoms from coronavirus, but it can extend up to 14 days. So if you are around people outside of your household, especially without masks on uh, anytime over the holidays, I want you to be, uh, be on the lookout for symptoms for up to 14 days afterwards. And if you start to have symptoms, you should immediately find a way to go get tested. But we actually also recommend that you uh, consider getting tested 
at three to five days after any exposure with people outside of your household. Because we know that over 50% of people who are spreading the virus are doing it without symptoms. So you could feel fine, you could have, uh, and you could have the virus, and we want to catch it so that we can limit its spread. And then during holiday gatherings, I mentioned vaccines. It's a great time to have a conversation with your loved ones about the vaccine. Uh, go over, go to cdc.gov. Uh, find out uh, the frequently asked questions that we have there. Uh, I want people to be informed. Uh, one of the things that I say frequently is that I want to encourage people to ask questions. We've got to stop shaming people for having questions. But uh, I don't want anyone to make a poor decision for their health based on misinformation. I'm joined by the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, here on iHeartRadio, a story that's been getting a lot of attention uh, these days, this, this mutation of the virus over in the United Kingdom. What can you tell us about that? What do the American people need to know about that? I've been getting lots of questions about that, including from my own family members. And here's what I told them. Viruses mutate. That's what they do. Uh, this uh, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, that we're dealing with in 2020 has mutated over 20 times already. A mutation does not mean that it's going to be more dangerous or that, uh, or that it's not going to work uh, with vaccines. And as a matter of fact, talking with Dr. Fauci, with Dr. Collins, who's the head of the National Institutes of Health, uh, there is every indication that the vaccines will still work uh, on this new variant. Uh, but the most important point for the average everyday person is that this just further underscores the importance of following the, the, the W. Wear your mask, wash your hands, watch your distance, and then wait to gather until we get over this surge. Because if this does turn out to be a more contagious strain, it's even more important that we take these measures this holiday season. So we had a CDC panel recently offer up their recommendations of how the vaccine rollout should take place can you step us through that plan? Who would potentially get what and when? Well, what we want to do is immunize for impact, recognizing that not everyone will be able to be vaccinated all at once. So in that first tier, uh, we highlighted the fact that 40% of the deaths from coronavirus have occurred in 0.4% of the population. Those are people in long-term care facilities and nursing homes. So they were tier one along with our healthcare workers, and it should be obvious why they're uh, our top tier. Uh, they're the ones most likely to be exposed. They're the ones we need to take care of us if we get sick. But this next tier is going to focus on people over 75 who are not in nursing homes because they make up a significant proportion of deaths if they end up getting coronavirus. And then essential health work, uh, essential workers. And when I say essential workers, I mean people who work in prisons. I mean teachers. I mean firemen and police officers. We want to make sure those who are out there most likely to be exposed and most likely to spread the virus to other people are protected along with those, again, who are most likely to uh, have a severe negative outcome. Immunizing for impact is the key. I'm joined right now by the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams. Taking a look at the situation across the country at the moment, we know that sometimes it can vary from region to region, but generally speaking, what is our healthcare capacity like as we continue to see these record case numbers and record numbers of hospitalizations? Well, unfortunately, it's not varying as much by region as we would like to see. In the first surge and the second surge that we saw this year, they were both very regional. Uh, the first one hit the Northeast really hard. The second surge hit the South and the Southwest. What's different about this third surge is it's hitting everywhere all at once. And what that means is it's hard to 
pull a healthcare worker from one state and move them to another state. And I've been all over the country uh, in the last several weeks, uh, really helping stand up testing sites and visiting hospitals. And I'm just really uh, concerned because our healthcare workers, uh, they're, they're at their limit. Uh, every hospital I've been to is at or near capacity. And even if you're someone who does not uh, feel afraid of COVID, uh, what you need to know is that your sister, your wife may not be able to get uh, maternity care when they go into labor. Your father, your uncle may not be able to get care for his heart attack. Uh, if you get into a car wreck on an icy road, there may be no bed available because these beds are full with COVID patients. And that is why we need everyone to take these measures. Again, the finish line is in sight. Have hope. But we've got to do everything we can to make sure everyone gets across that finish line and no one dies from COVID, but no one dies from a, a another risk factor, another medical problem that goes unattended to because the beds are full of COVID patients. One final question for you, and this is something that we've talked about before, flu season. How severe has that outbreak been so far? Well, fortunately, flu is still relatively low. We know that flu tends to really start to pick up around January, February, which is why we tell people to get vaccinated as early as possible. We also think flu is going to be low this year um, because everything we tell you to do to protect yourself from COVID also protects you from the flu. But that said, 500,000 people were hospitalized from the flu last year. And with hospital beds already full, we can't afford to have preventable flu cases taking up hospital beds uh, that, that we need to care for sick COVID patients. And it's also a great opportunity to talk to your doctor, your nurse, uh, your pharmacist about the COVID vaccine. So go in and get the flu vaccine this year, uh, help healthcare workers out, and then have that conversation about the COVID vaccine so you can get your questions answered and you can make an informed choice. And there's one more thing that I want people to know. I put out a call to everyone across America who's recovered from COVID, over 15 million people out there, to consider donating plasma. Uh, you actually have a secret weapon inside you if you've recovered from COVID. Your body has produced antibodies that fight COVID, and you can donate those to other people this holiday season. It will help them. You can give the gift of life, but it will also help our healthcare workers because it will lessen the amount of time people are in the hospital and prevent people from potentially having to go into the ICU. So uh, go get your flu vaccine. If you've recovered from COVID, uh, you can go to thefightisinus.org and find out where you can donate plasma. And then follow the W's. Wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance, uh, and wait on gatherings if you can. If you can't, go to cdc.gov and figure out how you can be safer, even if you aren't safe at. Because at the end of the day, if we all do a little bit, it adds up to a lot of protection, and it helps all of us get to where we want to be. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams with some great advice for us here uh, on the show. Dr. Adams, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us. We always appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And I appreciate it. And we're going to get through this. People are doing the right thing. Uh, this virus is just incredibly unforgiving. And I want people to have hope this holiday season because the finish line's in sight. We've just got to keep running towards it. Absolutely. Thanks again, Dr. Adams. And next up, I'm joined by Dr. Jason Wilson, Associate Medical Director of the Emergency Department at Tampa General Hospital, to talk about his recent experience receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. Dr. Wilson, we appreciate you joining us and giving us a firsthand perspective. So what are some of the big headlines you think everyone should know about the vaccine you received, the Pfizer vaccine? 
Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. I, I did. I had my Pfizer vaccine on Tuesday, and I think that's headline number one, is that uh, I've been taking care of COVID patients for almost a year now, and I was, you know, really one of the first in line to go get the COVID vaccine, um, as were my colleagues who really understand the science and uh, see COVID patients, understand the real detriment and impact of COVID on the society, and we're, we're first in line to get this COVID vaccine. Um, you know, I think the other thing, too, is that we, we uh, really understand this uh, science has gone through quite a bit of clinical rigor, even though this moved very quickly from an idea to a actual vaccine that people can put into their arms. Um, this is a moon landing level scientific breakthrough with what's called an mRNA type of vaccine where you give a little bit of an instruction booklet uh, to the cell to make this thing called spike protein, which your body can then make antibodies against. Pretty amazing uh, biotechnology. Uh, so far, it seems to be very safe, uh, very uh, reaffirming, reassuring uh, safety profile that we're seeing in the real world compared to the clinical trials. And this vaccine, you're going to have to get another round of it soon, correct? And can you explain why two shots are necessary? Sure. There's a number of vaccines that are developed this way. We do sort of a two-shot immunity. Uh, the first uh, round is kind of prime your immune system to start making some antibodies. And you, can, you showed the immune system that signal again, in this case, that mRNA creating that spike protein again to ramp up some more antibody against that. And so after the first uh, vaccine, so after Tuesday, I'm already starting to create some immunity already just sitting here. Um, and, uh, you know, within a couple of weeks, I'll probably have about 50% efficacy uh, compared to somebody who hasn't had the vaccine. My chance of getting sick from COVID will be about 50% less. But then after that, second shot uh, in 21 days, uh, my chance of getting COVID or getting sick from COVID compared to somebody who has not had the vaccine uh, goes down by about 95%. That's incredible. And welcome news, of course. I'm joined by Dr. Jason Wilson, Associate Medical Director of the Emergency Department at Tampa General Hospital and Associate Professor with the University of South Florida Health. So the Pfizer vaccine and some of the other vaccines in development are they going to help prevent people from getting infected with COVID-19 in the first place? Are they simply going to lessen the potential severity of the symptoms? Or is it going to be some combination of the two? Yeah, that's a really important question. And it helps people understand why, for the time being, we're still going to need to do things like wear masks and uh, practice some of those public mitig health mitigation strategies like social distancing. And the reason for that is because the way the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, at least, were studied was that we looked for people who got from COVID. In other words, you were a patient enrolled in the trial and you either got the vaccine or you didn't. It was randomized. And then we followed you along. And if you got sick from symptoms, uh, you had symptoms of COVID, you called the research team up and then they tested you for the virus. And so if you weren't feeling sick from the virus, you wouldn't have gotten tested. And what we know is that in the group of people who did not get the vaccine, the Pfizer study, about 170 of those people got sick from COVID. And in the group of people who did get the vaccine, only about eight or nine of those people got sick. And then our journal data looks pretty similar as well. And then what's very impressive is that uh, the people who got very sick, meaning like needed the ICU or needed to be put on extra oxygen, there really weren't many of those people at all in the people who got the vaccine. There's only one of those people in the Pfizer study, none of those people in the Moderna study. Compared to the people who didn't get the vaccine, there are about 10 of those people who got really, really, really sick from COVID. So right now, we just don't know to prevent what's called asymptomatic spread. I mean, you don't have any symptoms of COVID, but you may have the virus and be spreading it around. We don't know if this vaccine prevents that or not yet. There just hasn't enough time or data 
And that wasn't quite how it was studied. But what we do know is it keeps you from getting sick from COVID. And that's important. So how did you feel after receiving the vaccine? There have been some reports of a few isolated incidents where recipients got an allergic reaction. What was your personal experience like? Yeah, so far, my experience in talking to my colleagues who also had the vaccine on the same day, around the same day, is very similar to what we saw in the clinical trial where uh, 21,000 people got the vaccine. And of those 21,000 people, and of myself and my friends, about 85% will have some soreness in their arm the next day. And that's kind of what it felt like. Um, you know, maybe you went to the batting cage with your kid and you got hit by one of those, uh, you know, maybe slower speed pitch balls or something, you know, is jokingly punching the arm, which is, is similar to, you know, a lot of other shots and vaccines we see. For most people, for, for the vast majority of people, for 90% of people, that's going to be it, if anything. And now, a few other people may have had some muscle soreness throughout their body, some fatigue as well, or maybe a headache uh, the next day. And what's interesting is that talking to those same people again at 48 hours and looking at the study data at 48 hours, really those symptoms go away for the large part. Very few people have symptoms still at 48 hours. Uh, it is interesting that two people I know who had prior COVID um, did seem to have more of those symptoms like headache and some uh, fatigue, uh, you know, as well as the uh, sort of soreness in their muscle versus that. So that's just kind of how the muscle soreness. But no one uh, of the, you know, over a thousand people at Tampa General who've been vaccinated have anything serious happened to them. And uh, like you said earlier, you know, watching the whole world's watching right now. And we've really only seen uh, at the time we're talking, I think three uh, allergic reactions. And, you know, those are events that we can treat and manage. And two of those people had had prior severe allergic reactions to other uh, vaccines. And then the woman who had the allergic reaction in Alaska actually the same day said, you know, I'll be okay. You should still go get this vaccine. So overall, pretty reassuring that this looks a lot like what the clinical trial data looks like. I'm joined by Dr. Jason Wilson, Associate Medical Director of the Emergency Department at Tampa General Hospital and Associate Professor with University of South Florida Health. We're in the middle of the worst stretch of this pandemic for most of the country, and that's unlikely to change over the next few weeks. Can you describe for everyone what you've seen and had to deal with as a doctor consistently handling coronavirus patients? Yeah, it's been a you know a life changing uh, event for myself, but more importantly for for so many families. This was obviously an unexpected pandemic. Uh, we you know a year ago we didn't even know it existed, and you know now we've uh, seen life change forever. So you know what I've seen, of course, is a you know a number of people who um, have gotten very sick, a number of people you know who died. You know, there's one patient you know some people have heard me tell this story before. I think that impacted me the most. You know, was a uh, 75-year-old woman who, um, you know, she came in and she was very, very sick. And I think she knew she was probably going to die. And she said to me, she said, you know, I've done everything right this whole time. I've tried to wear a mask. I've tried to stay inside. But my daughter lost her job and needed a place to live. And then she, she moved in with me. And, uh, you know, now she's waiting tables. And I, I know that's where I got this from. And I don't know what else I could have done. And I, and I don't know what else she could have done. I don't know yeah. that there was another, you know, easy answer. And, uh, you know, and she did die. And uh, there was, uh, you know, and I think every healthcare worker you talk to is going to have some story like that. And then some story also of a patient who was too young and uh, didn't really seem to have any, you know, what we call comorbidities. In other words, it's unexpected. Like why, why this person, uh, you know, uh, they don't have diabetes or hypertension or, oh, you know, they're not overweight, but they're very, very sick and uh, they don't, they don't look, they look like they're going to do well. 
And then the third thing, I'll just say the last thing is, you know, these, what we call long haulers now, uh, we really don't know everything about this virus. And that's pretty clear to us because we've got people that we're still seeing either in the emergency department, they come back or um, in the telemedicine healthcare system sites where they're still suffering. Um, you know, even though they weren't ever in ICU, they don't show up in the data for deaths, but they still, you know, have so much fatigue and so much chest pain. And uh, maybe they're even still requiring oxygen. Uh, some of these are people who had no other medical problems, and we really don't know why um, or what it was about this virus that, that made, for some people, has such a long-term impact on these long haulers. Dr. Jason Wilson, Associate Medical Director of the Emergency Department at Tampa General Hospital and Associate Professor with University of South Florida Health. Uh, Dr. Wilson, thank you so much, first of all, for the tremendous work that you're doing in treating COVID-19 patients. And also, thanks so much for sharing your personal experience of getting the vaccine as well. Oh, happy to do it, Ryan. I hope that it uh, helps other people go out and, and do the same thing. It's a very important you know, vaccine. It's what's going to get us out of this uh, pandemic. All right. Finally, I'm joined by Dr. Richard Pfeiffer, Chief Medical Officer at Genesis Healthcare, to talk about the preparations underway at nursing homes and long-term care facilities across the country as they get ready for the arrival of COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Pfeiffer, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to us. Before we talk about vaccine distribution, I want to start with an overview of the damage the pandemic has done within nursing homes and long-term care facilities across the country. Tell us about what you've seen and heard. Hi, it's great to be with you. And, and, you know, this has been such an incredibly difficult time for nursing home residents, their families, and for those who care for them in nursing homes. Nursing home residents have been the hardest hit in society in general and in the healthcare system. And that's just, not just in the United States, but all around the world. Nursing home residents are the most likely to catch coronavirus because of their close caring in their living situation and the most likely to have a severe case if they catch it and even die in some cases. So it really has been devastating. And we are working so hard to get to the end of this pandemic so we can protect them. And it can't come a moment too soon. What have some of the biggest challenges been in trying to keep this coronavirus out of those kinds of facilities? Well, the challenges have actually evolved ever since the first nursing home outbreaks that occurred in the late winter last year. This is almost 10 months ago now. At the time, one of the biggest challenges was that we didn't know who had coronavirus and who didn't because we couldn't even test for it. That's changed so much. And now we have lots of testing at our disposal, but it took a lot of work to get us there. We also had challenges with access to personal protective equipment like uh, masks and gowns, and there were shortages, but we worked hard and we made sure that, that we had protection at all times. And so those, those were the two key challenges along the way. And now we have the, the third leg of the stool. The next challenge is how do we get through the vaccination phase of the pandemic? Because that's what we've needed. We need to get through the testing phase, the PPE phase, and now the vaccination phase. And this is an enormous undertaking. This is the biggest public health effort, the biggest vaccination campaign in human history. And we need to get through it in record time. And I want to get to that vaccination process in a moment. But real quick, just taking a look at the situation now and as it's been for the past couple of months, the fear of these outbreaks within nursing homes, like what we saw at the very beginning of this pandemic, it led to a lot of them being closed off, family members, friends, not being allowed in to see loved ones. The impact of all of that, as I'm sure you've seen firsthand, that must be really difficult. The, the, the emotional impact on residents in nursing homes and their families really uh, can't be overstated. And that's on top of the medical impact of the virus itself. And yes, nationally, Visitation has been restricted uh, by public health authorities as well as those who operate nursing homes in order to protect the residents who live there. And yet that's been so, so very hard. 
We've all found other ways to keep loved ones connected using technology in some cases, video conferencing, mobile devices. We've also had window visitation where that's possible. And in some cases, have found ways using things like clear barriers in open spaces and lobbies to sometimes be able to have visitation. We've done everything we can, and yet we know it's not enough. Nothing can replace the human hug. And so the, the faster we get through this vaccination phase, the faster we can get back to normal and we can have visitation uh, return because that, that is what people need right now. I'm joined by Dr. Richard Pfeiffer, Chief Medical Officer at Genesis Healthcare. We're talking about the impact of the pandemic on nursing homes and long-term care facilities and the staff members, the concern they must have day in and day out. They certainly don't want to be the one to bring the virus into these facilities and potentially lead to deaths. Also, they're putting themselves at risk. That must weigh very heavily on them. Now, you're absolutely right. You know, the staff who work in nursing homes, they are the true heroes, the front line caregivers, the aides, nurses, doctors, therapists, and, and so many others. Uh, and, and they've been there coming in each and every day knowing that outbreaks are occurring in nursing homes and that they're potentially exposing themselves and by extension, exposing their families. But, but their commitment uh, is, is so very important. They also know that it's possible that they could contract coronavirus in their everyday lives, just like anybody else can, and not have symptoms. And then bring that virus into a nursing home. It's the last thing that they want to do, but that's how some nursing home outbreaks have happened. That's why we've ramped up testing and we can test staff on a very frequent basis, but it doesn't eliminate the risk altogether. And so um, that's another concern. But the emotional burden on staff, it's a very big deal. They're in the epicenter of this pandemic. And uh, again, our heart goes out to all of them uh, for all that they've given, uh, all of their sacrifices. They, as I said, they are the true heroes of this. So we've seen the images of the initial rollout of the vaccine, healthcare workers uh, across the country getting vaccinated. And the next step is going to be to protect the most vulnerable, which, of course, is uh, the residents of these nursing homes and long-term care facilities. What have you heard in terms of uh, that phase of the vaccine rollout? Yes, CDC and federal authorities have prioritized nursing home residents and staff at the very top level. And now it's up to each state to follow that because the states actually get to allocate the actual vaccine. And the states are following it. They're realizing that nursing homes have been so hard hit. Uh, that's where the most vulnerable people are. And so when the vaccinations happen, the vaccination clinics occur and the pharmacists come with the vaccine supply, they're actually able to vaccinate staff and residents on the same day. Well, we just started doing that at the end of last week in two of our facilities. And then this week, it's ramping up all around the country. I was there at one of our first facilities and got vaccinated alongside the staff. And it was really important to them that we do this together and show confidence in the vaccine. Another challenge that we're facing with this vaccine rollout, of course, is the willingness on the part of Americans to take it. What has the response been like so far from residents and staff members in these nursing homes and long-term care facilities? We've been working on a vaccine hesitancy or vaccine acceptance for weeks now, because we realize that once the vaccine arrives, we need to have a receptive audience. We need folks to be eager and willing to be vaccinated. And that starts long before the vaccine clinic day, even before the approval of the vaccine, by talking to all of our staff and our residents and their families about what's coming, by teaching them and educating them about the science that's gone into vaccine development. And it's an amazing scientific effort. No steps were skipped. This just occurred really fast. And also the science that goes behind the approval process. And again, no steps were skipped. This just has all happened really fast. The numbers of people in the trials 
has been huge. Um, and, and so we have over 70,000 people have volunteered to be in the trials even before vaccine authorization. And now, as of today, uh, over a million people have received one of these first two vaccines. So we have a lot of experience with it. And by talking to people and instilling confidence and building trust, we're actually seeing high levels of vaccine acceptance now that the vaccines are actually here. And while there's certainly a great risk for residents in nursing homes and long-term care facilities if they are to get infected with COVID-19, when it comes to the vaccines, the risk is minimal, correct? Well, as with any vaccine or medication, there's always a concern about whether there could be a side effect. And, and, And every medication or vaccine has a very, very small chance of a side effect. We're monitoring that so very closely right now. So far, we're seeing actually a very low side effect rate, even lower than were observed in the trials from, from Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, I personally just had a slightly sore arm. I didn't even need to take a medication for that discomfort. And the next day I felt perfectly back to normal. So that was my experience. And I'm hearing the same thing from colleagues around the country. I'm joined by Dr. Richard Pfeiffer, Chief Medical Officer at Genesis Healthcare. Final question for you. I'm sure this is on the minds of a lot of people listening right now. As nursing homes and long-term care facilities receive these vaccinations, what do you think the timeline will be like for family members and friends being able to go back to these facilities and resume that normal routine? Well, there are really two parts to that. One is how fast can we vaccinate everyone who needs it, not just in nursing homes, but in the surrounding community. And the second part is how effective are all of the other precautions that we're undertaking to try to keep the COVID virus in check. Again, in the surrounding community, things like social distancing and face mask wearing and all the practices that we know we need to adopt because the biggest risk to nursing homes is actually the prevalence of coronavirus in the surrounding community because that's how the virus makes its way in and starts nursing home outbreaks. And so we'll get back to normal, back to visitation and all those things faster once we can control the virus the outbreaks in the community go down, then the risk will be much, much lower and we'll be able to work in a more normal uh, way with regard to vaccination and all the other things that we want to do to feel like our, our lives are getting back to the way they should be. Dr. Richard Pfeiffer, Chief Medical Officer at Genesis Healthcare with an update on the situation involving nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Dr. Pfeiffer, thank you so much for the time and thank you so much for the great work that you and your staff are doing at these facilities. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good day. And thanks to all of you for listening to iHeartRadio Communities. We'll be back same time, same place next weekend. Stay safe and have a happy new year. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 